You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Take chances, stick your neck out. You can't lose something you don't have. And once you look at it that way, it changes the way you approach everything. It changes the way you approach directing. It changes the way you approach getting jobs. It changes the way you approach life. That, of course, is the voice of George Clooney. And in this conversation, he reflects back on his extraordinary career, to the moment when ER made him a household name, to the films that made him want to be a director, to how becoming a family man has impacted his choices. So sit back and enjoy. Here is George Clooney. George Clooney, it's so awesome to see you. And thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. Thank you. You've spent the better part of your adult life on a set. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, what is your favorite part of that day when you arrive as a director and then when you arrive as an actor? Arriving is fun. You know, I, uh, you know, so I started out as an actor. And remember, you know, I cut tobacco for a living in Kentucky. So just getting onto a set is just magical, right? Because there's all these people working to try to do the same thing. All these different unions, all these different, you know, 150 people, all there focused on trying to make one thing work, a scene today work. And uh, and the idea, you know, like I always said, I, you know, I grew up in Kentucky. You know, we try to stay out of trailers. I I literally... I would never spend a day in my trailer. I was always on the set because sets are magical. I love and have always gotten along and always had a great time with the crew because they're all craftsmen, you know, uh, even if they don't look like it, they're craftsmen and they have a, they have great pride in their work. Go to the dailies after in the old days when you'd shoot a movie, the next day you'd go into a room and watch dailies from the day before and watch the focus puller, watch the film. It could be the greatest scene. All the actors are crying and everything's perfect. And then, and the focus puller is like, this is a piece of crap because of the, because it was a soft focus, you know, they're all craftsmen. So my favorite part is just walking on that more in the morning um, as an actor walking on and uh, working with a director and the other actors into figuring out how you make this puzzle work, because it's a puzzle always. What you read on the script never is how it actually works. There's always something that, you know, Rome burns and you got to figure out how to make Rome burn. And then as a director, it's figuring out how to get all of these people, all of these different groups to do what your vision is, which is also really fun. You have to manipulate people a little bit. You know, actors are manipulative, first of all, because every actor wants the scene. You know, they have an idea of how the scene's going to work. I know what I'm going to do. I've got a plan. And then the director comes in and they got a plan. And so the, you know, I'm trying to manipulate the, if I'm directing, I'm trying to manipulate the actor into doing what I need them to do. The actor's trying to manipulate me into letting them do what they want. I have the ultimate say as a director because I also know, you know, you you think, well, this is really sad. The kid died and I'm going to cry here. And I'm like, you're going to cry in three, three scenes from now. And I'd, and it'll matter more there, but that would, but I wouldn't, how could I not, you know, you just have to trust me. Um, But, uh, but both of them that honestly, just the idea that I get to walk onto a set where, you know, on this one, you know, it was 250 people look over and say, so wh- wh- where, where are we going? Where are you putting the camera? What are we doing? And 
coming in, you know, I am always, I'm always over planned. I'm, I, I try to be, I have shots of, I, I have drawings of every single shot for the day so that we, we can work efficiently. Um, but you know, it, it is an exciting thing to, to, to watch it sort of come together as a music, as a piece of music. When Alexander Desplat, who's the, who's the composer, I'll go to Abbey road and he'll, he'll have all the music written out. And it's the London Symphony Orchestra there. It's 150 people. And they talk a language we don't understand, you and I. It's like, you know, in the half measure there and, you know, off a beat here and a little more timpani, guys. And then all of a sudden, he's got, he just lifts up his arms and suddenly it's just a score. It's music. And that's kind of what it's like when you're directing, when it works. You know, mm -hmm. when everything's working, when the script works, when the actors understand what their role is. And when we're all in it together, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful moment, you know. Hmm. You've had so much success uh, business-wise and creatively in partnerships. And you've mentioned a few of them here with Soderbergh and obviously with Grant Hesloff. And I think of you and Matt Damon, uh, Brad Pitt, it goes on, Don Cheadle. You know, you, you work with a lot of the same people and uh, obviously with Casamigas and all that. Uh, success yeah. there. I drink it all the time. Uh, I do as, too. As, more, more now than lately. What do you get from that partnership? What's the foundation of those successes for you? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's a learning experience always. You know, I partnered with Stephen and Stephen basically was my educator on film, on, on how to shoot. Shoot with a point of view. Don't just collect footage and decide in the editing room what the story is going to be. And um, uh, some of the guys, you know, I've done four projects with the Cohen brothers, you know, the, the understanding how prepared they are and how precise they are and how, again, if, if I look at the guys that I worked with that I have such great respect for, um, Alfonso Caron, Alexander Payne, um, uh, 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 you know, Soderbergh, you know, these directors that I just absolutely, you know, adore working with, they're all, they love what they do. And so for me, you know, Jason Reitman, the same way, they love what they do. And because of the sets are, you know, they get that we're lucky to do what we do. We're lucky. You know, I could be doing a job that was a, a you know, a job that I'd live for the weekends. You know, for me, the weekends are a drag. I live for being on the set and being around people. I get to work with people that I have great respect for. You know, Don and I have done, I don't know how many projects, Grant and I have done everything together. Um, uh, Matt and I've done seven or so projects. I have great respect for them. Uh, I, they're constantly growing and looking to do things and stretch and try and fail. All the things that I appreciate because that's brave. You know, when Don decided to direct his first film, you know, it's a brave thing that he did. And it wasn't completely received well. I've had that, you know, the last film I directed, I got crapped all over. And it hurts when that happens, but but it's always this constant movement forward. Gonna let's keep trying stuff. Let's push the limits. Let's let's see, you know, where our, you know, none of those choices were safe. You know, if I'm gonna go out, it's not gonna be because I did, you know the safest choices and, and all of the people that you mentioned, 
that's what they do. They constantly take chances and they're constantly searching for, um, you know, something new. You know, so I have great respect for them. I'm a mother. I have two kids. So I know how drastically kids can change your life. Yeah. But I'm, I'm also curious to talk about how it changes your creative life. Well, I mean, you know, I haven't acted in five years in a film. You know, I did spend about a year and a half on Catch-22, but in reality, you know, it was an uh, active choice to try to spend as much time as I could with them at a very specific time, which is, you know, they're three and a half or three and a quarter now. And it's been a very exciting time to be, to watch them grow up. You you have kids, you know, and, and also since I could, I wanted to be around. A lot of people can't. Most people, you know, I started very old. I'm like Tony Randall, you know, with kids. So, um, so I have an advantage. I've ha- I have my place financially. I'm okay. Um, I'm, you know, my mom and dad, my mom was 19 years old, you know, that's hard with no support system, no car, no nothing, you know, that's hard. So for me, it was, I had these luxuries, the ability to be around my family, my family and, uh, and to spend time and say, okay, I can take a year off and just sit with these knuckleheads and see who they want to be. And, you know, watch the personalities that kind of pop out. So I don't know, it, it affects me. It doesn't change the kind of jobs I like to do. You know, um, it, it does. I mean, my daughter and son came to one sequence where I, you know, where I come, when I fall in the water, mm. we shot in a tank, obviously we weren't in the ice water in Iceland. So we shot in a tank, which was cold, but not, you know, ice water. And I'm in the tank in a wetsuit with my, with my wardrobe on, on top of it. And my wife shows up with my two kids and I'm shooting and I have to come out of the water and I'm all upset because, you know, I've lost this apparatus that's going to keep me alive. And <laughs> my daughter's there like, Papa, I want to come swimming with you. Right. So now every time I say I'm going to work, she thinks I'm going to a swimming pool. <laughs> so <laughs> for her, work for me is like the greatest thing on earth. Swimming. <laughs> so That's, funny. Uh well you you talked a little bit about this with your success and and having some failures. I'm wondering with age obviously comes perspective. You know, do you have a different relationship to successes and then in turn to failures? Failures? Yeah. Uh, probably not, unfortunately. You would think you get a little wiser about it. Um, you, you, I'm always um, surprised at the failures and, and oftentimes hurt by them, you know. Uh, but I'm also a grown-up, you know. I can also look at things and go, well, okay, that's, you know, we'll survive it. But... Um, but no, I, you know, I think if you're creative at all, you're, you're going to always be, uh, you know, susceptible to, um, criticism. It, you know, it's just part of, it's part of what happens right now that there is a, a tendency for the criticism to be particularly personal and mean it's happened, you know, society has gotten a little nastier over the last you know, since Jerry Springer, basically, you know, everybody feels like oh, I'm just keeping it real. I'm going to tell you what I think. So they'll walk up to you and say, you know, I hate you. And you're like, oh, well, f- fantastic. Well, 
you know, I had one, one guy come up to me and he's like, you know, you, you look a lot older in person. And I was like, well, I think those extra 40 pounds look good on you. And he's like, what? And I said, I'm paying you a compliment. What are you? Um, I think that, you know, uh, criticism has a great place and it does sort of force you to, to constantly recheck and check and nobody's career is on a constant up. And I've had things that have flopped. Some of them I was surprised at and some of them that, you know, sometimes when you're really struggling through a project, you can tell, you can feel like it's missing. There's a rhythm that it's missing. Um, and those times you, you kind of, you know, those mostly happen for me as an actor. Most of those, you kind of just sit back and wait for the sirens to blow because you figure it's going to not going to go over very well. Um, but, you know, I've also, like I've, I've made fun of Batman and Robin for years and years and years because it's a terrible film and terrible in it. I get it, you know, enough of it. But without that, the lesson that I got from that was um, you're now going to be held responsible for the movie. I, before that, it was just, I'm an actor. I got a part. I'm going to play Batman. You know, fantastic. So the idea of getting, uh, suddenly being responsible for the movie itself, you know, the next three films I did, I focused only on the script. And the next three films I did were Out of Sight, um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, and um, Three Kings, you know? And those are some really good screenplays and some really good movies. So there's, you know, there is good to come from failure, you know, which is to understand, you know, where you have to take responsibility. And, and you know, it can either, you know, you either sit in bed and put the covers up over your head or you get up and go back to work and do your thing, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I... Just talking to you, I mean, you're that guy that I remember when I first moved here, uh, and here is Los Angeles, obviously, for anybody mm -hmm. listening. Uh, you were that actor that had, you know, upteen failed pilots and, yeah. you know, the guy that, you know, was almost always going to never be. Uh, and yeah. then you hit with ER, uh, mm -hmm. kind of in middle age for an actor, really, in your yeah. mid-30s. 34, 34, yeah. 34. Uh and the second you stepped on that small screen, it was like a supernova. You were all things to everybody. I mean, first of all, ER was the reason. It wasn't me. You know, that show, we were getting 40 million people a week watching that show. And, you know, it's just crazy. So within a week, we were on the cover of Newsweek. You know, suddenly we were, and we, and the big surprise was we were supposed to lose to Chicago Hope and we ended up being the big winner. So it was a shock to everybody. And, you know, it was lucky for me because I was the oldest guy on the show and I'd done 13 pilots and I'd done seven television series. And so I'd been on some successes. Roseanne was a success. And Facts of Life, I came on late, was a success. But, I've been on some pretty failed things too, you know? And so I had a real perspective. And so I was really probably no one's better prepared for it than I was. Like when the first season hit, we did 24 or 26 episodes. We did a lot of episodes that year because it was such a big hit and everybody was tired, all the actors, cause it's a hard show to shoot. And we were shooting, you know, six day weeks and it was really hard. And once it was vacation time, we had two months off. Everybody's like, I, I can't wait to get this time off. And everybody got a little, you know, I got an offer for, a, you know, a movie, Dust Till Dawn. 
And I'm like, I'm going to do that on my time off. And I knew that I, there was going to be this one moment, you know, I knew when it was hitting and it was going well for me. And I thought, I'm not going to, I'm not going to step off of this train until somebody pushes me off. And so for the next five years of the show, I did, I don't know, seven or eight films while I was doing the show, which meant I worked seven days a week for about five years, but I didn't mind it at all. I was still a young guy and it was exciting. And I knew, and by the end I had gotten to a place where I was, you know, there's a lot of, well, he's never going to make it off a of TV for a while. Cause I had Peacemaker and Batman and Robin stuff that people didn't dig. And then things started to change a little bit. And, and then I got a hit with, uh, the first real hit was Perfect Storm, which had absolutely nothing to do with me. It was a big giant wave, and that was the star of the movie. But since I took so much shit for Batman and Robin, I took the credit for uh, Perfect Storm. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's. I think about the first time for Vanity Fair, I was out here and we did the cast of ER and Friends. It's like that. Group, I remember that, right? And yeah. it was everyone was brand new, and Jennifer Aniston was like her first big role, and right. it was with the uh, who was shooting that? Was it? Uh, it was Annie. It was Annie. Lewis. It was Annie. Yeah. That's right. And <laughs> then you know, Vanity Fair. Obviously, uh, I was there for every one of your covers, uh, yeah. of which were many, and and we we followed your career most certainly. And one of the most interesting moments, aside from you know. George as the actor and George as the company man in terms of the your power and support in Hollywood. Everyone looks look to you for you were super generous with your time and with other actors and like we discussed earlier, your community of actors around your community of collaborators. But then came this moment of activism for you mm. where you took a a giant step you know, out of that spotlight into a bigger spotlight to come out against the Iraq war, to come out against a couple of other things and yeah. uh, dealing with the environment and dealing with um, obviously, you know, other global events like Darfur and all that stuff later on. But at that moment coming out against the war was a huge shift. I grew up in the 60s, you know, you participated in things. And the war was one that, you know, it was funny because now everybody is just a natural thing of like, yeah, the war was a bad idea. But, you know, there was Sean Penn and, you know, Susan Saran and Tim Robbins and, um, you know, uh, I don't know, 10 of us, Woody Harrelson. It was a very quiet, it was very quiet out there. And, uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly did a whole half hour show about why my career was over and you know, they orchestrated, uh, um, um, you know, boycotts of my film and actually, you know, put, sent a flyer around saying, you know, you know, to ban these people, they're un-American and stuff uh, at the time. And, you know, and I remember calling my dad and saying, am I in trouble? And my dad said, you know, you can't demand freedom of speech and then say, but don't say bad things about me. Hmm. And he was right, of course. And so then it was like, well, then it made sense. You just go, mm -hmm. okay, these are fights worth taking. And I knew as time goes on, um, I wasn't going to be on the wrong side of that one mm -hmm. in history. And, you know, and I, I've always felt like, you know, my father particularly made it a point when I was a very young kid to say, 
always pick fights with people who are more powerful than you and always look out for people who are less powerful, period. That's the, that if there's anything I was taught in my household, it was that. And I believe in it. I think it works. You know, it's not always the most comfortable position. Um, there were plenty of times when my father would, you know, get angry at somebody that I would go, can't you just ignore it? Can't you just let it go? Um, and now I'm proud that he didn't. But at the time, at 10 years old, I'd like to have finished, you know, we didn't eat dinner out very often. I'd like to have finished dinner. <laughs> well, you you have, um, you know, you've been a really uh, a role model with that. You put your money where your mouth is, most certainly. And also where you're uh, creatively. I mean, I still haven't recovered from Good Night and Good Luck, uh, mm. that film. That that film holds up right now. I mean, it's pretty amazing to hear that Murrow speech again now. It says, we will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. If we dig deep in our history and remember that we are not, you know, we are not the children of men who feared to, 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 speak against, I'm, I'm misquoting it now, uh, uh, those those who were for the moment uh, popular, to hear, um, you know, those words, you know, I wrote Good Night and Good Luck because I was being called a traitor to my country, you know, and I was mad. Um, mad is often a good place to work from, you know. Is there a particular film that made you want to be a director? Well, there's a couple. Um, out of sight made me want to be a director because I worked with Steven Soderbergh and I suddenly realized now I'd always thought about directing because in television, you know, there's a possibility you could just say, let me direct a couple episodes. But Steven showed, you know, Steven was bringing back all the lessons that we'd learned from the movies from like 1964 to 1976, all the sort of, you know, really specific, really interesting uh, studio films that were, that were still doing a lot of nonlinear storytelling. And he was in, infusing with all the 90s um, independent film stuff that he was so famous for. And he was bringing that into the studio system and working in a way that I just loved. And I thought, oh, well, we don't, it, you know, you don't have to tell stories in a straight line and you don't have to. Um, uh, I, so immediately that, told me Stevens, my relationship with Steven told me that I wanted to be a filmmaker. And Steven and I became partners because he said when I would give him notes as an actor, I wouldn't give him notes about my performance. I'd give him notes on like what's working in a scene and what isn't. And so he always encouraged me to, to direct. Um, the movie that most inspired me about storytelling was Network. There's just a you know, it's a perfect film. And everything Patty Chayefsky wrote about in 1975, came out in 76, um, everything he wrote about came true. You know, everything, the idea that there is no United States, there is no Soviet Union, there is only Exxon, you know, and IBM. And all the, 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 the newsman could be the entertainer and that uh, there would be reality television, you know, in the way that they used it as a, everything he wrote about came true, but he did it so beautifully, you know, mm. so beautifully. Yeah. So those were, you know. I, I think of that, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. People say that and the generation doesn't even know what it's from. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's like when we did Catch-22, 
you know, generations don't understand that that was just a thing he made up, that Heller made up. You know, Catch-22, at first it was Catch-17, and then there was Stalag-17, so he changed yeah. it to Catch. You know, it's a funny thing. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Actually, I did a funny bit. When we did Out of Sight, the only thing I improvised in Out of Sight was that line, because we we're talking about that movie in the trunk of a car with Jen, Jennifer Lopez. And, uh, and I said to Stephen, I want to quote it, but I want to get it wrong, because it's such a famous quote. And he's like, okay. So I go, yeah, 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 like the Peter Finch. And she goes, yeah. And I go, yeah. And I go, yeah. Uh, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take any more of your shit. <laughs> Just because it made me laugh to get it as wrong as you possibly could. Every, everybody knows that line. Oh, it's yeah. so funny. Um, all right. I always ask everybody this question that I talk yeah. to. And since we are in an ever-changing world, obviously, and in currently in Hollywood, especially in an ever-changing business, and it's changed dramatically since when you were, you know, auditioning, right, in, sure. the, in the 80s, 90s, whatever. Uh, what advice do you have for young people wanting to get into filmmaking or television, either in front of the camera, behind the camera, or to be any part of that community? Well... I mean, there's some easy things to understand. You know, when I was a young actor and I would go in, I would always just pray that they'd like me. You know, I'd go into audition, just like me. I, and then I'd be, just don't screw it up. Don't, please don't, just make sure you don't screw it up. You know, I just want to. And then as you get older and you're sitting now on the couch as the actress would come in to audition, you realize that I'm sitting there on the couch going, please be the person to solve my problem. You know, please make me so I can go home, you know, let me, let me get the right person that makes me happy. And the understanding that you're there to solve their problem as opposed to, you know, please like me is such a difference in a change in attitude like that can change your performance light, light years. I mean, it's just, it, it, people sit up in the chair and they hear you when you come in and you go, how you doing? Am I reading with you? Great. I got this idea. Let me try it out that you could feel the confidence in the room. You could feel it. I, I said this to young actors before, because the reality is this. Actors are constantly going, I, I just don't want to lose this job, right? Well, you can't lose something you don't have. You can't lose it, right? So every time you're going on an audition, every time you're going into these meetings, it's all house money you're playing with. The only thing different from the time you walk into the time you walk out, the only thing that would be different would be that you got the job, which would be fantastic and a miracle. Otherwise, everything is status quo. So there is no, you can't lose anything. So do exactly what you want. Tr take chances, uh, stick your neck out. You know, I would bring, you know, once I started to figure that out, I would bring in like a, a dog. I, would, I remember reading for Family Ties. And I brought in a dog and held it under my arm. It was for three lines and family ties. And I held a dog under my arm and I just said all the lines without even referencing the dog, just talking. And they were howling and laughing. And, you know, once you realize that, you know, you can change the rules, you know, in, in to benefit you in a way. Uh, now, listen, I've been dead wrong. I remember I went in and I did a drunk scene for a, uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola for uh, the vampire movie he did, Dracula. 
And I did it really drunk scene because I, I knew this. My uncle was a bad drunk. So I did my uncle. He was like, ha! And I did this really big thing. And literally Coppola is staring at me like I like I had three heads and it was over. He called my agent and he says, I think he was drunk, <laughs> which I took as a compliment. But you know, I didn't get the job, obviously. Um, so but, you know, again, it's like take chances, stick your neck out. You can't lose something you don't have. And it, once you look at it that way, it changes the way you approach everything. It changes the way you approach directing it changes the way you approach getting jobs it changes the way you approach life and I, you know once i i got to that point everything changed for me and it was it makes a big difference hmm. well speaking of house money uh is there any chance i'm going to see the oceans uh team meet with the oceans eight team am i is there going to be any kind of like camp merger between the two is it something i can hope for (laughs) we had an idea where it's just the guys screwing over the girls and girls screwing over the guys um i don't know you know i would love it you know um the fun way to do it would be to do it like um what was that movie uh with uh um, George Burns um, going in style, you know, make it like all the things we used to do just don't work anymore. <laughs> you know, if we're hanging off a wire. It's like we throw our backs out, you know, all of that. <laughs> kind of stuff. I think that'd be the fun way to do it. Um, I don't know. You know, Warner Brothers wants us to do something like that. Um, it'd be down the road. I got a bunch of stuff to do now. And I think it, the only way it'd work is if, it, if we got older and it was funnier and weirder. Um, but Sandy's a good friend and, you know, we, we'd have a blast doing it because she's, she's terrific. We'll see. Maybe I'm, yeah, I never say never on stuff like that because there might be a world where it could, it could, you know, it, it would make sense to do. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time, George. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to netflixq.com for more. That's netflixqueue.com. 